Good morning. You may have noticed that uh, last Sunday there was no homily. We owe you one. <laughs> so today there will be two homilies. But don't worry, one of them will be very short. Some preaching is sort of like trying to plant a tree. Other preaching is more like scattering seeds into the wind. Today's preaching is the latter of those two. I'm gonna scatter a bunch of thoughts out there and not necessarily try to wrap them up or tie them together. Hopefully one or a few will take root. Now, after saying that I'm not gonna plant a tree, the first thing I'm gonna do is to go out on a limb. Today's first homily in six words, there is nothing invisible about baptism. There is nothing invisible about baptism. For lots of reasons, historical and theological, the prevailing notion of what baptism is, is that it's some kind of a bath or a shower that what happens in baptism is that sin is washed away. Original sin, which is conceived as an invisible stain on an invisible soul. It took uh, a few hundred years for the church to come up with that, but I'll spare you the details. The quick version, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Which got crudely translated into, if you're not baptized, you can't go to heaven. Which, parenthetically, is an invisible place. We're now up to three invisibles. Because this washing away of sin was invisible, and therefore you couldn't verify that it actually happened, there's always been a big emphasis on what is called the matter and form of the sacrament. The matter was what you used and the form was what you said. You had to use water and you had to say the right words. So first, there was a whole history of controversies about water. A vivid memory I have uh, from childhood, back in the last century, is about a young man who was surfing somewhere off the, the coast of Southern California who was attacked by a shark and severely injured. And in the middle of that event, his girlfriend decided to baptize him which she did. The big headline of the day, not, wasn't that wonderful, but hmm, salt water, probably not valid. <laughs> I don't remember how that was eventually resolved, but there's still disagreement within the churches about this. 
Some read scriptural references to living water as meaning fresh, natural, flowing water, which is not what's in the ocean. So baptism can only take place in rivers, not in the sea. And then there's the perennial question about what type of baptism must be employed. There are three options, dunking, pouring, sprinkling. If eternity in heaven is at stake, you better do it right. Have you heard the one about the Baptist kids playing in the farmyard where there was a big cat running around and there was a great big rain barrel full to the brim and they decided, hey, let's baptize the cat. <laughs> so they tried several times catching the cat, which they finally do, and then several times it they try to get the cat in the rain barrel. No luck with that. Finally, one of the kids says, forget it, let's just sprinkle him and let him go to hell. <laughs> and then there's the formula. You've got to say the right words. Did you see the, uh, the story in the news last year about the Roman Catholic priest who, for years, when he baptized anyone, said, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, thinking we, the church, are doing this, so he's bringing the whole community into the action. Inclusive. Nice, right? No. The ritual says, the formula is, I baptize you. Ultimately, his bishop declared that all 26 years of baptisms he administered were invalid and would have to be repeated, and so would all the other sacraments for which baptism was a prerequisite. I'm not making this up. If we understand baptism as taking a bath, being all about getting cleansed from sin, and certified for heaven, if we focus on the invisibles, it can get pretty crazy. I said I'm going out on a limb here, but not really, because the Catechism, both Article 27 of the 39 Articles of Religion, and the Catechism in the 1979 Prayer Book, this is Episcopal 101 material, will back me up on this. Baptism has nothing to do with washing away anything, including our sins, original or otherwise. So if it's not wash water, what is it? Well, there's lots of possibilities. If we're born again by water and the Spirit, how about the amniotic fluid of new birth? If it's about new creation, how about the waters of the great flood? If it's about a new covenant, how about the Red Sea of Exodus or the Jordan River over which Moses looked at the promised land and into which Israel passed to become a people chosen by God to be a new community? The proper description for baptism is the sacrament of initiation, a bringing in of a human being to a visible community 
that engages in visible activities that make the reign of God visible to the world. This is why the preferred venue for baptism is always the primary weekly Eucharist of the parish community, so that what you see is what it is. The early Christians did not call themselves the church. They called themselves followers of the way. Baptism brought them into a community that was seeking to live under the influence of the kingdom of God and members of the body of Christ who said, I am the way. The early church was not an institution, it was more like a movement. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, is doing his best to revive this notion. He often refers to the church as the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. For more details, Google the Episcopal church. That's a commercial. Here's a quote from Archbishop Curry. Being a Christian is not essentially about joining a church, but about following in the footsteps of Jesus, taking his teaching seriously, letting his spirit take the lead in our lives, and in so doing, helping to change the world from our nightmare into God's dream. Nothing in there about trying to convert people. Our mission is not to browbeat people into religion. Our mission is to provide an example to the world of what God is like and, and of what God wants for our world. But we don't have a corner on that market, which brings us to today's second short homily. Today's second homily in six words, practice random kindness and senseless beauty. Practice random kindness and senseless beauty. This phrase may ring a bell for some of you. The first time I encountered it was on a bumper sticker. It's the banner slogan of a secular movement that was born in 1992 when two women were sitting in a cafe in California in the aftermath of the Rodney King incident, when the domestic news was full of talk about racial violence and police brutality, and the international news was drums beating for the war in the Persian Gulf. One of these women, her name was Anne Herbert, seized on a phrase that was all over the media then. The phrase she picked up on was, random acts of violence and senseless acts of cruelty. Have you noticed that senseless is the adjective you hear the most every time there's a mass shooting? Senseless violence. As if there were some violence that makes sense. Another homily. These two women talked about how they might say something 
to crack into that cliché. And Anne Herbert came up with the idea of trying to reverse it. It wasn't too hard to swap kindness for violence. It was a little tougher to find a substitute for cruelty. She decided on beauty. Hence the phrase, practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. A random act of kindness is a non-premeditated, unpredictable action designed to offer kindness toward the outside world. Just to be clear, this is not about organized, programmatic kindness. That's something different. This is individual, unplanned, spontaneous, impulsive, unexpected, surprising, and therefore disarming kindness. And daily life presents us with plenty of opportunities to show random acts of kindness to others. If you need suggestions, just Google random acts, or you just have to Google random, and as soon as you put the letter A in there, you're going to find hundreds of ideas. This movement has been around for a while, uh, so there's actually an official International Random Acts of Kindness Day. It's February 17th, when for 24 hours, individuals, groups, and organizations worldwide encourage the spread of love and joy to as many people as possible. But you don't have to wait till February 17th to try it out or do it just for 24 hours. What I love most about this idea is that it's something that can be practiced by anyone of any age, in any circumstances, anywhere, any time. What about senseless beauty? Is there any other kind? I've heard of sensible shoes, but uh, sensible beauty? All beauty is senseless. There's no reason for it. It is of no practical use. It just is. You want to see senseless beauty? Well, look around. <laughs> the space in which we're sitting. In a way, you could say, well, all we really need is a place with a roof and some heat. There's no need for this architecture. Senseless beauty, liturgy, senseless beauty, music, flowers, and that's just here in the building. Art, poetry, prose, painting, drawing, singing, dancing. Beauty, wherever we find it, lifts us up and feeds our spirits. What better antidote to cruelty? So here's a thought as we begin a new year in which there's not much any of us can do about war raging in Ukraine or acrimony reigning in the United States. Consider practicing 
random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Visible actions that speak of the creativity and loving kindness of our God. And by the way, it's also good for your health and it's contagious. <laughs>